When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SCP-3844 To Slay a Dragon If I were to mention a tragic SCP involving dragons, many of you would immediately jump to SCP-1762, where the dragons went. You might be surprised to learn, however, that it's not the only one, and what's more, it manages to differentiate itself despite the similarities. It's not an especially lengthy SCP though, so let's just dive right in. The document starts with a notice from the Records Department of the Foundation informing us that we're viewing an out-of-date version of the SCP-3844 file, written up in 1906 actually. This is the earliest documentation they have on 3844, and since it predates the Foundation's standardization of containment procedures and descriptions, they've kept it as it is. This version is written up as a letter from a man named Lester to someone named Frederick, and I'll go ahead and read it verbatim. Correspondence from the Dolomite Mountains regarding anomalous activity. 21st of April, 1906. Dear Frederick, A dragon. There was a dragon in the mountains and it looked just like we'd imagined. Galveston and I had to follow our guide for about six hours before we first saw the beast. It soared over one peak, let out a low roar that loosened snow from the mountainside, and then dived out of sight. Its wings blocked out the sun like a cloud passing overhead. I wish the whole lab could have seen it. It took us another two hours to reach the dragon's cavern, It was a massive cave, filled with gems and goblets and other such valuables. We never reached the end of that cave, but judging from the echoes our footfalls made, we would have needed rations to make it there. We gave up our search for the dragon for the day, thinking that it was still flying about, and started our return trek to the outside. And then, just as we summited the last hill of treasure, we heard that roar. We froze unsure if the noise came from our front or our back. The tension only faded after it spoke. It welcomed us as guests. The dragon motioned for us to come closer as it ambled in front of the maw of the cave. It had an accent like yours, except lower and more gravelly. It took Galveston and I a few moments to come to our senses and our guide a few more. The beast was quite the gentleman, if I do say so. It changed its form to resemble a young man to make us feel more relaxed. I held a lengthy discussion with it while Galveston took notes. It was surprisingly well-versed in modern-day affairs. When I introduced ourselves as men of science, it called us a new age of knights. But do not fret, I did my duty. I'm surprised it worked, given our extreme lack of resources. I negotiated reasonable terms to keep the dragon contained within the Dolomites. 
I've transcribed the exact operating procedure below, but it agreed in writing. I can only hope it doesn't double-cross us. But until then, those Italian officials should be content with our work, even if we've never handled an anomaly this massive before. I will return once I've met with the Italians again to organize the whole affair. Next time, Frederick, you'll come with us. You and George and the whole lab. Words cannot do this majestic beast justice. I'll bring some gin so we can drink together one day. Sincerely, Lester. The terms they negotiated involve the dragon, Tharnok, agreeing to limit expeditions from its home to once per day, with these expeditions remaining within the confines of the Dolomite Mountains at a low elevation, and Tharnok will refrain from vocalizing during expeditions. In return, the Anomaly Investigation Foundation will recruit one ambassador to interact with it once per week, and will also punish any attempts to steal valuables from Tharnok. They've also arranged for the Italian government to discourage civilians from entering the mountains, and to discredit any eyewitness accounts of Tharnok. The next iteration of the file was written up in 1941, and now follows the standard SCP document layout. SCP-3844 is contained at its dwelling within the Dolomite Mountains, with the Foundation patrolling the perimeter to make sure no civilians enter. Additionally, they've set up anti-aircraft artillery in the area to fire on any airborne entities that fly over the perimeter. They send a D-Class once a week to interact with Tharnok, and stealing items from him is prohibited. 3844 is described as a winged reptile, measuring 73 meters from tail to head, with a wingspan of 67 meters and an estimated mass of 27,000 kilograms. His scales are of a purple hue, although they're lighter around the stomach, and he's capable of expelling fire from his mouth through unknown means at a temperature of 3400 degrees Celsius. Tharnok is also capable of speech in at least 14 languages, and has an extensive knowledge of world events. He can also change his physical form, so when interacting with Foundation personnel, he takes the form of an adult male human, although he's capable of mimicking the appearance of any human. His dwelling in the mountains contains a currently unquantified amount of valuable metals, which he presumably sleeps underneath. Lester, who originally found Tharnok, didn't return to see him for decades, but Tharnok remembered who he was all the same. He apologizes for the changes in Tharnok's containment, but wartime calls for extreme measures. Tharnok remarks that the New Age Knights still fight old-time battles, but Lester says that they don't really fight, they just make sure that the battles don't expose things people aren't supposed to see such as Tharnok. Tharnok asks if Lester brought the gin with him this time, but he says that even though he might run the show around here, he still can't drink on the job. Tharnok then asks if he'll ever be allowed to fly again, but Lester says that it won't be before the war ends. The dragon asks if the war is their whole world, but Lester responds that it really isn't. Governments just pay them to keep anomalies out of the hands of the other side, 
since problems could really arise if people got a hold of anomalous rifles or dragons. Tharnok then recalls how Lester used to speak of the lab and asks if he still performs research like he used to. The Foundation, of course, still performs plenty of research, as other anomalies show no signs of slowing down. Tharnok remarks that the Foundation are sharpening their swords, and Lester's fellow men eye him the same way knights used to, like a prize. Lester explains that they're just taking the measurements he should have taken when they first met, and he'll come back when they discover new things to evaluate. Tharnok also says he'll come back at the end of the war, and trust that he'll uphold that promise. For now, though, he tells Lester not to worry about him while they have a war to fight. It would be another 43 years before the file was updated again, in 1984. Tharnok is still contained at his cave in the Dolomite Mountains, but now the artillery around the perimeter is only to be used if he escapes containment. A team of researchers come in once a month to take size measurements, perform IQ tests, and determine the maximum temperature of fire that he can breathe. They also bring him some reading material. Time magazine, science magazine, nature magazine, and communications of the ACM. His description has changed as well, with his length dropping from 73 meters to 50 meters his wingspan dropping from 67 meters to 42 meters, and his mass dropping from 2700 to 1800. His scales have changed from a purple hue to blue, with the ones on his stomach being much lighter. He can still breathe fire, in the form of expelling a methane vapor and igniting it through unknown means, reaching temperatures as high as 1950 degrees Celsius. His language knowledge has dropped from 14 to 7, and his knowledge of world events has dropped from extensive to moderate. The document also notes that, while Tharnak can still take the form of an adult male human while interacting with personnel, he merely claims that he can mimic the appearance of anyone. They've also managed to determine exactly how many valuable metals are inside of Tharnak's home, evaluating them at around 2.6 billion US dollars. In conversation, Tharnak has confirmed that he is the inspiration behind a number of European myths involving dragons, and also claims to be the model for the Welsh flag. In his words, I used to be red, you know, a vibrant red to match the fire I'd breathe. Those were indeed good days. Lester returned again for another conversation, with him now operating as 05-2 on the Overseer Council. They both acknowledge that he's a little late for his return, but Tharnok says not to worry, as Lester has obviously been busy and he's had plenty of reading material in the meantime. He asks Lester how long they've known about the nature of light and the atom, and says that before long they might have an explanation for dragons. Lester says that he'd be surprised how far science can get you, and Tharnak asks if science has finally found a way to allow him to stretch his wings. Lester responds that, due to certain advances in radar technology, they can't risk letting him leave the cave, 
but he's asked others to possibly devise a way to expand the cave. Tharnak looks forward to it, but then Lester announces that he has to be on his way, ending the conversation short. The file would be updated again in 2007, for the last time. 3844's object class is now listed as neutralized, and his remains are to be kept in a standard containment locker for non-anomalous materials. 3844's description states that he was a winged reptile, measuring 10 meters from tail to head, with a wingspan of 8 meters and an estimated mass of 235 kilograms. His scales were of a pale blue hue, except the ones around the stomach, which were completely white. He was capable of forcefully expelling a methane vapor from its mouth and igniting it through a thaumaturgical incantation, or through magic, in other words. He was capable of speech in two languages and had little knowledge of world events. He took the form of an adult male human during interactions with personnel, but claimed he could mimic the appearance of anyone. He inhabited a cave containing an amount of valuable metals valued at $13.4 million. In their final conversation together, Tharnak was surprised to see Lester showing up, expecting him to be dead by this point. Obviously, the O5 Council has ways to extend their lives, and Lester says that he tried to refuse, but they wouldn't allow it. He explains it as a bit of thaumaturgy and temporal technology, but Tharnak interprets it to be magic. Lester replies that everything is science when you examine it for long enough. Tharnak agrees, as that's what he's learned over the past century or so, but he laments it, asking Lester if he's looked up at the stars as of late. Lester says, not really, and Tharnak asks him what are stars. Lester replies that they're balls of flaming gas, but he can be more specific if the dragon wants. Tharnak already knows that, as he's read up on them himself, but he tells Lester that when he asked a duke many, many years ago the same question, the duke said that they're little lights from the heavens. Tharnak remarks on the awe that was in the duke's voice when he said that, much like the awe in Lester's voice when they first met. Lester asks if he's grieving over the advancement of science and the fact that they can understand him now, but Tharnak replies that he's merely mourning the death of spectacles and miracles. He wishes that he could embrace the world of science, but it takes away so much of what he enjoys about this world. He acknowledges that there isn't much Lester can do to fix that, but says that he'll finally have to break their agreement, even though Lester didn't really hold up his end. Lester says that he can't just let him leave, but Tharnak doesn't think that he can stop him, and his wings haven't felt the rush of air in a century. He can also hear his kin's beck and call. Lester responds that he seems quite confident, and Tharnak says that confidence is all he has left, finishing with, I don't want to believe that the world doesn't need its whimsy anymore. Upon leaving the cavern, 
Tharnak was shot down and killed by the surrounding artillery. His projected trajectory led to the remains of a non-anomalous common flying dragon, Lizard, suggesting that perhaps this small creature was once a dragon like Tharnak. After his death, his cave was inspected again, revealing a small hole two meters in diameter and one meter deep instead of the previous cavern. There's one last iteration of the document, posted directly by Lester. It marks SCP-3844 as Keter class, pending review, and the containment procedures mention having O5-2 assigned to oversee the investigation of SCP-3844 and the development of appropriate long-term containment procedures. The description simply states that SCP-3844 is the collective designation for numerous large winged lizards located within the Himalayans, Rockies, Appalachians, Andes, and Dolomites. There's also an uploader's note written by Lester reading, Dragons. There are still dragons in the mountains. One of two things happened at the end there. Either the Foundation has actually found a number of more dragons similar to Tharnak in various mountain ranges around the world, or Lester merely regained his belief in them in an effort to add some more whimsy back into the world. SCP-3844 doesn't seem to work the exact same way as SCP-1762, in which the dragon's existence is directly tied to humanity's overall belief in them. There does seem to be some connection, though, as Tharnak remarked that he seems to be allergic to science, suggesting that perhaps he was diminishing due to the Foundation continuing to learn and explain every aspect of him, even describing his fiery breath as an application of Thaumaturgical Incantation number 043. In the end, he decided he'd rather break the sacred agreement that he had made with Lester than stay cooped up in the cave until he was nothing but a common lizard. Ultimately, the Foundation does what the Foundation does because they believe that it's best for the rest of humanity. But really, we didn't deserve Tharnak. We're left with a similar message to SCP-1762, though that perhaps understanding and explaining everything isn't always the best option, and there should be some mystery left in the world. Whether you believe that or not, Tharnak did, and he was willing to die for it. 